let's jump right into our program early today. Uh, our today's program features the mayoral candidates Paul Soglin and Scott Resnick. Um, Rick Kiley will be our moderator today. Rick will moderate the discussion and ask the questions. Our program uh, format will include each candidate will have two minutes for introductory remarks. Then we'll move into the Q&A portion and each candidate will have a minute and a half to respond to each question. Following Q&A, uh, each candidate will have an opportunity to present closing remarks of one minute each. A few notes about the questions. Our questions were selected to be of interest to our membership from suggestions by members with firsthand knowledge of the issues. We want to explore longer-term strategic issues, and we are giving less attention to some of the important issues that have been covered at length in some of the other mail forms and by the press. Our timekeeper today is Mike May here in front, uh, and he will hold up signs to alert the candidates about time remaining. Uh, and let them know when their time is up. Uh, let's get started. We will start with opening remarks by the candidates. By random drawing, Mr. Soglin will begin. Mayor. Oops, wrong one. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And what I'd like to do is start out by sharing with you a previous visit uh, here on January 3rd, 2007. Uh, at that time, I was not in office. I came before you because of a concern, if you'll recall, about poverty, the growing poverty in our community. I shared with you the fact that when I left office in 1997, about 27, 28% of the school children Madison system were in the free and reduced lunch program. And that, that year, 2007, the number had grown to 44%. Came back before you four years ago. Four years ago, I explained to you that the reason I was running for mayor was to deal with the challenges of stabilizing city finances and then to get on to the real issue of the challenges of poverty. For the last four years, there's been some difficulties. Uh, there's been some challenges, particularly in getting our local government to reorder priority priorities to deal with this, to deal with the challenges of equity in Madison, Wisconsin, and in Dane County. Let me, let me tell you that it hasn't been easy, but we are on the right track. We are on the right direction. I don't have the time go through all of the initiatives and equity that we have done both internally and externally, dealing with disparity in contracts, dealing with hiring processes and procedures, but it has made a difference. And unlike my opponent, I have not come to this issue just recently in the four years that have occurred since 2011. Thank you. Change logistics. There you go. This has been a trying week. 
trying two weeks or so for many Madisonians. Last Friday night, my wife and I, or two Friday nights ago, my wife and I were with One City Learning, an organization focused on early child care opportunities here in the city of Madison on the south side with a focused mission to make sure every student will be on the right path in South Madison, a promise and a commitment. There was more optimism and hope in that room than I've seen in Madison in a long time. Then we woke up to the events that were occurring on Willie Street and how the conversations have changed. See, we have major struggles in this city. And over the last four years, as we've witnessed homelessness up 41% in our city, we're breaking new records in the Madison School District serving homeless students. 1,300 students last year experienced homelessness, and that number is going to increase this year. We need to be looking for new, bold initiatives. We need to be looking at ways where we can cooperate with our community partners at the county, at the city, in our business community, and our philanthropic community. I know the true leadership comes when there's so many of us around the room coming up with new ideas and bringing new initiatives forward. It's how I got into leadership of the Madison City Council. It's how I started a company here in Madison growing with 22 employees. And it's how I will lead the city forward over the next four years. four years ago, Madison had the worst vacancy rate in the United States, approximately one and a quarter percent. It was generating sprawl and it was driving up prices. Since that time, we've solved two problems. One was the zoning code rate rewrite and the other one was the downtown plan. Between those two, we were able to unleash record construction in the city, adding close to 5,000 housing units, either completed or under construction. Am I concerned about too much density downtown? No, I am not. Am I concerned about the quality of life downtown? Yes, I am. I'm particularly concerned about preserving State Street and preserving it in the image of what made the city great, a collection of locally owned shops and stores which served not only people who resided around campus and downtown, but also bring in people from surrounding counties, the state, and the nation. The central issue is how do we keep Madison a special place with all of this development pressure? It means that we have to protect the historic districts. It means that we have to recognize that the traditions of the community in terms of design must be respected, particularly as it relates to the relationship to, to our, our local owners.
I had the pleasure of representing the 8th District, which was the campus area on the city council for four years. And the major issue right now that's facing students that are facing many of your sons and daughters that go to the UW is affordability. It's can you still, with all of the cuts to the UW, with all the financial challenges, can you still afford to live downtown? Now, our downtown is a special place. You are seeing individuals coming from our city, not as a boomerang town, but a way to start life. That this is where young professionals want to be to start a career path forward. But to do that and enhance that, we need an environment that is welcoming to everybody with cultural opportunities as we support programs like Overture, supporting other organizations that bring live music to downtown Madison, to bake a place that you feel safe and welcoming for all types of cultural events. This is what our downtown can be if we embrace and listen to new leadership, listen to those individuals who want to move here, that want to spend their money here, that want to be a part of a downtown th thriving community. The rapid increase is going to be a positive for our growth and tax base. What we need to ensure, though, is that we're doing it in an affordable manner and recognizing all of the other stresses that someone who lives downtown will face, not only in the next three to five years, but in the future. such as Austin, Texas, which looked a great deal like Madison 40 or 50 years ago, and but that where now many who are heavily involved in the community wonder uh, if such, such substantial growth may be a mistake. Is improved economic growth a priority for you as a mayor? And if so, how do you encourage and manage smart growth? When we look at all of our various issues, when we get to poverty, when we get to equity, so many pieces come to do you have a job? Are you employed? Is it a living wage, and is it a wage that you can support a family on? Now, I've been about new company creation. Started a group called Capital Entrepreneurs that has 300 young tech companies trying to be the next epic. We've tried to create a community. Instead of starting a new company in Silicon Valley, in Chicago, in San Francisco, build it right here in Madison. And we can do that if we have an environment that supports innovation, if we help our young entrepreneurs, and if we're able to grow our community. Now, we have those resources right here to be a special community, and it's more than just technology jobs because it's all of those individuals who provide support services. It's the sales positions. It's the account managers. We can build a great community with economic development that can be thriving for all Madison residents. I truly believe we can have a city that supports that type of growth. They have a phrase in, in Texas, uh, which actually was shared to me by one of the former mayors of Austin, which is, if you can see it, you can annex it. 
one of the challenges in, in Austin was the lack of planning, which, of course, characterizes most of Texas. And that's the point. To do this right, we have to have planning. That's why it was so important to get the downtown plan adopted, to get a new, after 55, 60 years, a new uh, comprehensive zoning code rewrite. That is why we are in the middle of a process now to create a transportation plan. That is why your tax dollars are being spent to uh, another plan on bus rapid transit. That is why we spent almost $400,000 on a disparity study to look at what's happening in the construction industry to make sure that all Madisonians, minority business enterprises, women business enterprises will enjoy the benefits of this growth and, and the logic of, of our planning. I think what is key here is having the courage to take risks, not just on the State Street Mall, not just on the Civic Center and on the Terrace, but supporting something as controversial as Judge Doyle Square, which could be the home to up to 700 new private sector jobs with up to 200,000 square feet of offices, not just a hotel. That's the kind of leadership we need today. It's a pleasure to be back. Apologies to the author of the question, but you're wrong. And I want to explain this, and please, please listen carefully. You had a presentation here of the Race to Equity report a couple of, about a year ago. That is data from 2011. Please understand that. Now, the other thing that needs to be understood is that the real acceleration in poverty in this community came with the Depression or if you want to call it, you're more favorably inclined, you can call it a recession. But the point is, and we've got the data that shows from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we were closing all kinds of disparity gaps in this community regarding employment, regarding income, and including education. In the middle of the last decade, we got this tremendous separation. But let me tell you, without going into the details of what we've done, take the assumption in the question that 75% of African-American families are below the poverty line. Two years after that study was done, 2013, using the same ACS data, that number has been lowered to 58%. I'm not saying that that's acceptable, but that is a significant change in those two-year period. The gap between African-American and white unemployment in that same two-year period was lowered by 7%. And those kinds of changes were not seen in the rest of the country, the region, or the state of Wisconsin.
the question becomes, are we going to face the challenges that we have or look at the numbers to try to refute it? We need to be making major investments in early childhood education. We need to be talking about when you go into South Madison and you have parents and residents complaining that there's no neighborhood options for child care, that child care has become too expensive. When you start looking at schools and when you're talking about what are the investments that we need for our children to make sure that they're successful in the 21st century, things like Internet access at the home, making sure that someone's computer illiterate, making sure that they have a device in their hands, we need to be addressing poverty at an early generation to make sure that future generations have success. It does come back to someone's education level. Making sure that our students are succeeding in the classroom is going to take a lot, and it's a lot of the work that groups like yours have been doing. It's making sure that we have safe housing in the city of Madison, that we have strong transportation lines, that we have equitable forms of financing. We need to ensure that we have the raw materials that make sure that students can have success in our city. But if we continue to try to point and say that we've done enough, we're not going far enough. follow up with that and ask you, when you talk about major investments, how do you propose funding those major investments and what do you have in mind? When you focus on the issue of the digital divide, and this is the focus of making sure that every single student has internet in their household, to make sure that they have technology available, because students today, if you don't have access to Google or Wikipedia, you're not going to be able to be successful. And what we need to ensure is that everyone's on a level and equal playing field in the school system. Please don't twist my remarks. Please. I didn't say that we'd received a, a passing grade or that we're anywhere near successful. But four years ago, you took office, and what have you done besides campaign on this issue? What did you do in the prior three years on child care, on all of these other critical issues? I'll tell you what our office did. We got into a disagreement with you on whether or not to spend $16 million on the Edgewater, which it turned out you voted for, and I was correct that the money was not necessary to adopt that, that, that proposal and the hotel could still be built. And that's $16 million that's available for community centers. It's $16 million that's available to support neighborhood activities. It's money that is available. It's making those tough choices. Why did you move ahead, a police station and a fire station, ahead of the recommendations of the chiefs? While I was out there working, taking a program of summer youth employment from 35 people, which you ridiculed because of its size, and now we've got the Rennebaum Foundation and five employers adding another 650 to the 125 jobs. And on top of that, we've got the hire program with the United Way, which is creating 200 jobs for adults. That's what it's all about. Recently, 
There has been a lot of criticism of the city about race equity with regard to arrests, incarceration, and treatment by police of our minority communities. Do we have a law enforcement race equity challenge? If we do, what should be done? If not, how do we address the perception? Right now, we have issues of trust throughout our entire city government. You see that in the protests that are occurring right now in our community. You see that when you have 1,500 youth that are coming down to City Hall saying, what's next for us? What we need to be doing is having a hard conversation of where do we go next, both to review processes of the Madison Police Department to make sure that we do have the right biasy trainings in place. Because right now, we experienced a tragedy in our community. We have many individuals who are saying that the 11 to 1 racial disparities are unacceptable. But if we only are trying to answer that question on the back end of solving issues in the court system, we're not doing enough. It's focusing on these problems early on in forms of education. It's in forms of jobs, and it's in forms of equity. As we create more opportunity for young people, as we create success in the schools, path to employment, we will certainly see the benefits in regards to the consequences and outcomes and ending the classroom to prison pipeline. It's been a very trying two weeks for everyone. I want to commend Chief Koval and the Madison Police Department as they very carefully separated the issue and would not allow a discussion of the life of Tony Robinson to influence the view of what happened that night. But I insist that we respect the Madison Police Department, a department that was built by David Cooper and successive chiefs through Noble Ray, and it is not a racist department. I put out a statement, and I made it very clear that we have a good department, and it should not be. It should not be the focus of attack for all of the larger societal problems. There are issues, and it is beyond the police department. But I didn't see Scott Resnick and members of the city council recognizing the dedication and the bravery and the sacrifice that those men and women make. Again, um, I'd like to kind of chide the author of the question. Uh, the lakes are, as Dr. Cottom used to say, uh, they're not dirty, they're just too healthy. It's a consequence of all the nutrients, all the runoff that goes principally from the northern and western parts of the county 
into the Yahara through the Cherokee Marsh and flows through the, the chain of four lakes. And I think it should be noted that we are now in the middle of a program where we are actually going to spend close to $35 million through the Madison Metropolitan Sewage District, a collaborative effort between the City of Madison and other governmental units, and we are going to filter that water and remove the phosphorus, which should hopefully in the next couple of years begin to show results in terms of the benefits, not just to the fish, uh, but to those of us uh, uh, people who, who enjoy the lakes as well. The point is, we are not isolated. We are part, obviously, of a larger ecosystem. And we're going to have to find solutions, working these complicated solutions with the federal government, with EPA, with the county, with the sewage district, and with the farmers. Because as, as, as it was noted back in the 1880s, uh, it was all them cows on the sides of those hills that changed the lakes. <laughs> Now, when it comes to the lakes and you take a look at what so many go back to our beaches, as a place I remember starting this campaign out traveling to several of our beaches to see what the condition is, both of the water, the lifeguards, or lack thereof, the actual interaction that we have with the experimental buoys that we've put into place to make sure that there's safe places to swim for families to enjoy. The issues with our lakes come back down to how do we work together with our partners, not only the city and the federal government, but the county as well. Because the county has made major investments into our lakes, making sure that we're addressing issues of runoff, looking at new forms of technology to make sure that anything that goes into our lakes that we know about that what we can do is address the issues of the flash floods in Madison. But this is going to take a number of partnerships. It's making sure that we're on the same page as the, with the county moving forward, that we have the right leadership to be able to sit down and talk through solutions to say that we're willing to be a partner in all of these conversations, not just one at the table, but here to move forward on processes with our lakes. Mr. Resnick, in 1980, Ronald Reagan gave us all a laugh when he said he wouldn't politically exploit Walter Mondale's youth. <laughs> Many must wonder if you are sufficiently experienced to lead City Hall. And Mr. Soglin, many of Madison's challenges continue and have continued on your watch. Would each of you give evidence that you could lead our city to be better than it is today in the coming four years? So, the mayor attacked my record of what I've done, how I address problems in the city. When I heard about the Race to Equity report, I reached out to Reverend G. I ended up going to Nehemiah, and we sat there and spoke for the next hour. We didn't speak about politics or the issues itself, we talked about what does it mean to live in the city of Madison. I said, where are your dreams going? What would you like to see accomplished? 
He wanted to talk about the field of dreams, to say what kind of community center we can build. We talked to the Urban League about job creation. And what it came out of that was 30 tech-related jobs that my company now sponsors and helps sponsors on internships, training youth, prim primarily women and people of color, how to program. Started a one, right now, a multi-million dollar company that I still am the COO of that we created out of the dorm rooms of UW-Madison, was elected as one of the youngest members of the city council and then as a member of leadership to make sure that those negotiations that can occur not only between the city and the county, but between the Madison City Council and the mayor's office could have it happen applicably. What we ended up having was seeing that what we could do when we were working together, those are the leadership skills that I bring to the table that's what I hope to continue over the next four years. In 1973, I said uh, right up here in this room with my good friend Bill Dyke that age had nothing to do with the election. I come before you today Forty-two years later, <laughs> to tell you that age has nothing to do with it. During the course of this campaign, I've been called gray, old, uh, bland, and tired. Uh, you can make that decision right here tonight. But I do want to make a point about how important it is to share and learn from others. I want to say, for one thing, that, that Mayor Menino of Boston, uh, who recently passed away, was, was a great inspiration in some very simple things, such as never go into a room with business people without asking them if the complexion of the people in their offices or on the floor of their plants reflects that of the larger community. Never fail to ask anyone in the private sector, how many new jobs are you going to create in the next six months and make sure you make your contribution because government can't do it all? It's time within – thank you. If, if, if you'd like to stay there. We will now uh, give uh, each of our candidates uh, two minutes to make closing remarks. Well, thank you for your patience and, and, and your – uh, your willingness to, 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 to hear the candidates for mayor in this city. It's been said over the last couple of months that it's been a, a boring campaign. There doesn't seem to be a great deal of interest. Well, let me just tell you that the challenges we have, particularly in these issues of poverty and equity, is one that I am determined to address, and I am not afraid to offend. I am not afraid to get in disagreements with council members. I will try my best to convince them, but I will not back off when tough decisions have to be made. After the last council budget was adopted, one member of the council came up to me and said, Mr. Mayor, you should be very happy with this budget. You got everything you wanted. 
we got everything we wanted. And I said, that's exactly what the problem is. Unfortunately, we cannot afford it all. We have to make tough choices. And with the resources we've got, we have to make inspired decisions. We have to know which ones have to come now, which can be postponed for a year or two, because the damage won't be that irreparable. We have to be able to analyze. We have to be able to look at the challenges reflected in discrimination, in poverty, in education. We have to collaborate. Speaking of collaboration, as I'm looking around the room, I see our school superintendent. We are going to work as we have in our out-of-school time program. We are going to get, in this instance, both. We will get a continuation of TIF 25 and the affordable housing to $5 million that will present to this community as part of Housing First, and we will get $7 million into the hands of the Madison School District. We started off tonight uh, with quotes from Robert Putnam and talking about bowling alone. See, this is a piece that I studied while in school. Bowling alone, really the emphasis becomes that we've lost our sense of community. We've lost this way of civic engagement because when you actually see who's out there at the polls, when you see who's showing up for city meetings, if you see all the individuals who are actually having their voices heard, it's not everyone at City Hall. We don't hold ourselves accountable we gloss over so many facts of homelessness increasing 41% in our city in the last four years. We talk about where we're going as a community and how we're going to dig deep to address these problems. If that analysis was done with every single decision that the mayor just described, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be running. We wouldn't be having these conversations. Because the reality is, the investments to make Madison a great place over the next 40 years, we've yet to make in the city of Madison. When we talk about what the future of transportation looks like in the city, not just for everybody in this room, but those on the far east, far west side, for young professionals, there are differences that need to be made. When we talk about how we create the business community with both Internet access and support for future companies to be the next epic, we haven't made those investments. We look at the serious issues of equity to make sure the folks in South Madison feel just as connected to the city as those of the downtown. And that's an engagement we haven't made yet in City Hall. We need to be able to bring everybody to the table in a collaborative approach, in a way where everybody feels like their voices are being heard in our democracy. Thank you. I'd like to, one last time, uh, say thanks again to both the candidates, Mr. Resnick and Mr. Soglin, and wish them both uh, uh, good luck. Let's, let's thank them for joining us today. I'd like to thank Mike May as timekeeper and Rick Kiley as, for our moderator. 
Everybody, thanks to all the guests today. We appreciate you being here. Please join us again. We are adjourned.